I V M. Hey everyone, welcome to Shunya One, episode 159. Amit, how are you doing? How's it going? Doing well, man. I am doing well. It's uh, 159. This is a good one, though. This was one of our rare excursions into the VC world rather than the entrepreneurial world. Yes, I know. I, I think we do like one VC every 20 episodes. Kind of interesting to get someone to come in and talk to us. And I, I don't think we've done eight VCs, right? 159 divided yeah. by 20 would get us to like eight. I don't think we've done eight VCs. We've done eight people who invest. I'm sure we've done eight people who invest, but I don't think we've done eight VCs. I can only remember. Probably not. I can remember Mitin. I can remember Amit Somani. I can remember Sanjay Nath from Bloom. I don't remember any others. I'm sure there there are one or two more, but I again 160. A lot of names to remember. That's also true. That's also true, and it's interesting how we actually have probably uh, we have had some of this VC's portfolio companies for sure. Yes, uh, on the show. So, but 160. I think we've got all VCs portfolio companies at this point. <laughs> That's also true. That's also true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, yes, today we are talking to uh, Alok Goel from Stellaris. Uh, they're a very interesting fund. Uh, uh, of course, uh, Alok himself has a very interesting story to tell about how he got into this business. Uh, and the kind of companies uh, he works with specifically. So very interesting chat. Uh, let's let's take a break and jump right in. Hey, Alok, welcome to Shunya One. How are you doing? Doing very well, Shiraditya. Thank you so much for having me here. No, it's great to have you, and uh, thanks for making the time. We don't speak to too many VCs uh, on Shunya One, but ever so often we do, and uh, we love to sort of. Get your perspective on obviously the entrepreneurship scene in India. Uh, how things have been going? It's uh, been an interesting few years for various reasons uh, in the funding world, as you know. And yeah. you know, from a different perspective of you know, when we talk to founders and we talk to obviously you know people who are running businesses, we try to understand the genesis of where the inspiration came from, uh, what they did, what their story has yeah. been like. Maybe you could tell us uh, the same uh, about yourself and of course Stellaris and the kind of companies you work with. Got it. Maybe Sheila, I'll give you a little bit of a historical background here as well. I started out with my undergrad in computer science from IIT Delhi. Always thought I wanted to be a professor and do research. I went for my PhD, and I know this is going to sound very stupid now in hindsight, but '93 when I was doing my PhD is when Infosys went public, and I was working in my uh, with Microsoft uh, in that summer when that uh, when that IPO happened, and something in my mind clicked, which is that I thought that look if these guys can build a company maybe so can I. and suddenly my plans in life changed i thought i should come back to india start a company another friend of mine and i we both quit our phd's came back to india tried starting a product engineering company uh, clearly you haven't heard my ipo so you know that it didn't go anywhere um, so the net of it is that i think since that time my desire to be an entrepreneur was very high took uh, life took a bit of different turns and twists many of them i thought i took because it will help me become an entrepreneur so for example i was initially a developer mm-hmm. uh, in the electronic design automation space i thought that was not taking me anywhere anywhere close to being an entrepreneur quit i thought i need to learn business joined mckinsey which was good but then i thought india is going to be a hard place 
eventually went to Silicon Valley, worked with a firm which used to work primarily with startups. All seemed great until the downturn of 2001, 2002 happened. And I think that was a bit of a jolt to me uh, through some sheer lack of thinking, lack of judgment. After 10 years of working, I had $0 in my bank account. Um, wow. So we were pretty much bankrupt. And as much as I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I realized that the first thing you need is to be able to stand on your own feet. And then I joined Siebel. Many of you would not have heard it. It's the yeah. iconic company in the CRM space, later got acquired by Oracle. Mm-hmm. I entered sales, uh, software sales for large deals, initially in Siebel, then with SAP. And I had only one objective, that I need to be, I need to get, get to a point where I have the financial freedom to do what I want to do. And that path continued for 10 years. I eventually came to India, led the SAP PNL in India as well. But that bug was still there. And I thought I need to come back to entrepreneurship. But as you age, you also begin to realize whether you have an entrepreneur in you or you don't have an entrepreneur in you. And I think by the time I reached the conclusion that I'm not an entrepreneur, but I love hanging out with entrepreneurs. And I thought the next best thing I can do is be an early stage VC even though most of my experience was actually more suited towards late stage private equity. Right. For example, SAP India, when I came in, we were about $100 million in revenue. By the time I left, we were about half a billion dollars in revenue. A classical sort of segment where a late stage yeah. B would be interested. But my heart lied in early stage tech. And that's what led me to come to Helion. I was part of Helion for third fund uh, for three years until... Three of us decided that we want to break away and start a new fund. So you can say that in a cheesy way, I guess we became an entrepreneur. Yeah. Not quite though, of course. Building a fund is a different thing than actually starting a real company. But beginning 2016 is when we started raising our fund. And 2017, January, which is about five years back now, is when we established Teladis. So been investing uh, since then. And I'm primarily a SaaS investor. That's the yeah. background I guess I came with. So our team is, even though we are fairly agnostic within the tech space, but different people focus on different areas. And my focus largely has been in SaaS. Wonderful. Uh, if uh, if I could, right? I mean, like, uh, it seems like an interesting journey in that sense, right? And I'd like to understand uh, what kind of drove it. The idea that you went from uh, developer to entrepreneurial thought into sales, right? So that's, and then investing post that, right? But I mean, like, that seems like a not very traditional thing where, I mean, I, Sheila Ditya to the contrary, most people who are developers don't really go into sales. Uh, that At least that's not- I been, was going like, to say you know, I did something like that. So. I know, yeah. You, you two, <laughs> with, with the exception of you, most people I don't really see doing that. What led to that? See, Amit, there wasn't a very sort of deep thought and if you, I mean, if you go back to early 90s, just the mentoring and the environment for startups was non-existent compared to where it is today. So when my friend and I, we started the company, we reached the point where we were in many different sales situations. And to be honest, all of these are very proprietary. It was ours for the taking. But the two of us had a lot of enthusiasm, but very little business sense. And we couldn't close a single contract. And that is what led me to believe that, look, I need to learn sales first. I knew that I could write code. And I was very arrogant. I thought I could write code better than anybody else in those days. But I thought I needed to learn sales. And I tried approaching a lot of companies. And maybe since I'm being historical, 
if you go back to those days, sales-oriented companies in India used to be HCL, used yeah. to be this company called PCL, Protect Computers Limited, which doesn't exist any longer. I remember convincing PCL guys that, look, please hire me as a sales guy. I was ready to be a foot soldier, but I just wanted to learn sales. And they declined. They said that, look, we think you're a tech guy. You can't do sales. Yeah. And it was just a chance happening that a friend of mine in McKinsey said that, look, we're looking to hire the non-IIT, non-IM backgrounds. And why don't you come in? So I happened to be the first person in the Delhi office of McKinsey who came without an MBA and was a diversity hire at that point. If wow. You <laughs> uh, therefore, and that initiated my journey into learning business in some sense. And, um, but the bug always continued. My wife was an entrepreneur. She started one company in the Valley in late nineties. She started another company later in India. So I was seeing it from close proximity, but I think I've also realized it requires an amazing amount of humility to be an entrepreneur. And I don't think I had it. Yeah. But it's interesting that the journey from, I mean, this inclination to do sales, again, I'm speaking very much from my personal uh, experience also is it's it's part of being an entrepreneur. The ability to sell is a founder skill. Uh, so, you know, when you said you wanted to learn it, when you said you, you wanted to jump into the business side of things, which you did, uh, essentially you were gearing yourself to sort of take that next step. And I think what happened obviously was that, uh, you know, you realized you could help the same people who you were trying to be by being a VC. In fact, that specific time in, in India, I think, can you share a little bit of the insights you had as to even when joining, let's say, Helion or breaking out, like what drove you to sort of continue down that path of being on the venture side of things? So, uh, Sheila, I, um, and this is a genuine belief, just goes to the core uh, inside me, is that I believe that entrepreneurs are very special people. See, if you look at us, we say no 499 times out of 500 times to be. Yet those who start companies, not only do they dream, and this is, I'm actually quoting Vinod Khosla, I read in one of his HBR articles, that not only do you need to be a dreamer, but you need to be foolish enough also to pursue your dream. When everybody tells you no, you still start, start something. And I feel that every entrepreneur is, in his or her own way, is trying to change the status quo of the world in some small way. They are envisioning a different world. That's why they start a company. You can agree or disagree with them. That's your choice and mostly we disagree. That's our job, unfortunately. But I think the opportunity to hang around with such passionate people, I think I just would give up an arm and a leg to be around such people. I also believe that, you know, after having been in sales job for a decade, I realized that how stunted my learning got. Of course, I was selling and I was, I was fairly successful in my sales career. But every meeting as a VC, you learned something new. And um, you actually feel stupid in most meetings as a VC. Because as I said, uh -huh. if somebody's trying to change the world, they have something new to offer and you have to try and understand what they're trying to do. And I yeah. think that that amount of learning is very hard to get in any other profession. So that was primarily the reason to, that drove me towards, uh, towards uh, venture. I was lucky that Helion was looking to build an enterprise software and services practice at that point. And they felt it is better done by hiring somebody with that experience as opposed to doing it internally. And I was, I guess, a diversity hire all over again at Helion and benefited from, if they had not given me the opportunity, I might not have been a visa. Very interesting. And, you know, I also want to obviously go a little deeper into the SaaS side of things, but maybe, uh, you know, in some time. Before that, what was your thesis? 
even in Hidion or even let's say once you broke out and you know uh, started Stellaris, what was the core thesis? Because this was again at a time when I think funding scenario in India was at its uh, I would say what uh, just just maturing. Like five years ago was when you had your I don't even I don't know if uh, you we had our first round of exits either uh, or maybe just did. No, we did not. We did not. Yeah. So what what sort of gave you the confidence to do something and why specifically? Ishil, I mean, I was only a VC for three years, so not for long. My colleagues, two colleagues who started with me, Ritesh and Rahul, they had been doing ventures since 2007. And you are quite right, Shiladitya, that there was a lot of promise of startups and venture capital in India, but that promise had not materialized itself, at least by 2016. I would argue a lot of capital had gone in, nothing had come out. Exits were still nowhere to be seen. In fact, in that sense, I would say that the product market fit or India as a startup ecosystem had not been established. By. However, what drove the underlying belief, you can say were some of the indicators we were seeing at the ground level. In the sense, for example, when Helion started, India had about 20 million internet users and just a million transacting users. Mm-hmm. When we were starting Stellaris, there were 50 million transacting users and probably three to 400 million internet users. Similarly, when you started companies in the past, look at Flipkart, great company. But guess what? Unlike an Amazon in US, which would plug into a UPS or a FedEx, Flipkart had to build eCart to build Flipkart. Uh, uh, look at just the whole uh, COD, right? Mm-hmm. Unlike using a PayPal in US. But yeah. what we were also seeing is that some of this underlying infrastructure, whether it was through a delivery on the logistics side, through Paytm, on the payment side, a lot of this underlying infrastructure was also coming online. And we felt that Building companies was becoming easier and faster in India. And with the immediate market available and the and the inclination to adopt these newer, uh, newer uh, offerings to be much higher than what it was before. So at least we were very bullish on where India would go. But even though you might remember 2015 end was a massive dip. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly nobody, nobody wanted to. We started exactly at the lowest point, if I may say, in the last decade. Yeah, uh, but our belief was very high. 2015 was the huge high, and then the right. huge crash as well. Yeah. So when we like started everybody. doing our fundraise, uh, it was March of 2016. I remember. Nobody wanted to touch India. Nobody wanted to touch venture. Everybody, I mean, everybody felt that Amazon is kicking Flipkart's butt, and if the company where the most amount of capital has gone and can't be successful, why would anything else be successful? Uh, but anyway, that's how many journeys start. Uh, ours was no different in that sense. Again, we are fortunate that we have seen up curve since then. But um, I would say we were very excited. Our belief at that point was very high. And the belief is only higher at this point. And at that point, did you choose what exactly like you were going out to do? Like you mentioned SaaS, uh, but was that your core thesis from day one? Or was it for the fund or no, just so, for yourself? Yeah, no, so Sheila, I would, uh, I would say that India has gone through three phases of venture. If you go to the pre-2006 era, there were just a couple of funds. You know, there was ICICI Ventures. There was Chris Capital. SAF had existed in its earlier form. But pretty much no capital was available. And therefore, if you look at the first companies being built, whether it was a Nokri, frankly, for most part, Make My Trip as well, Zoho, all these companies were built with no capital. It, and, it, and just dial also, they took a long time to build what they built. And they were great companies. The phase two, which I would say mid-2000 onwards, 
there was capital, but there were broadly still about seven or eight companies, uh, seven or eight funds. You can count them on your fingers. Matrix, Kalari, Helion, Nexus, Sequoia, Westbridge, Safe, of course, and my apologies, I'm sure IDG, I must be missing one or two, but broadly, that was a pack of funds. They used to write the seed checks. They used to write the series A checks. They had to write the series B checks. There was very little available in seed funding, and there was pretty much nothing to speak of in series B, series C. Uh, and that was phase two, and I think that's where a lot of the entrepreneurs we see successful today were coming around. And I think we are seeing the version three of the market today. Suddenly, the number of funds have exploded as well. There are funds which are 10 million funds, 30 million funds, 50 million funds, 100 million funds, 200 million funds. Then there are these Series B, Series C funds, Series B. I mean, all across yeah. the spectrum, there are funds today. As that has happened, we're also seeing, by the way, Gen 2 entrepreneurs. If you look at it, a lot of, in fact, if I look at Solaris, I would say easily 70% of our founders that we have backed are either those which are starting a second time around mm-hmm. or those which have been part of a successful startup journey, left now those I'm- journeys to start. So these guys, if I may say, are not as green. They have seen these journeys before. Yeah. They bring a lot to the table. They expect a lot also from the people that they partner with. So our thesis when we started Solaris was that there needs to be a lot more depth in the VC ecosystem than what has been in the past. I think you could afford to be a generalist. Uh, broadly, I'll say that that version two to version three is a move from being a generalist to a specialist. Yes. And that manifests itself in multiple different ways. What it does is that you need to, you can be generalist as a fund, which is what we are. But as an individual, you need to be super focused. And I have no shame in admitting that if somebody were to come to me for a consumer travel business, I think my knowledge and my expertise in that business is as good as a Panwala near my home. That's it. And, uh, but I'm lucky because my colleagues understand that very well. But sure. we all chose that we will go very specialized in certain segments. So, For example, my colleague Rahul, he has been doing commerce and tech for the last now 12, 13 years. Similarly, my colleague Ritesh has been doing healthcare and financial services for the same amount of. Of course, I am um, I'm younger in the VC ecosystem in that sense, only spent the last nine years now. Uh, I came from the enterprise background, so I focus on SaaS and some other B2B businesses. But that's how we are organize ourselves. It allows us to go deeper. It allows us to build thesis ahead of time. Our belief in general is that by the time something appears in economic times are meant, it is too late for us to enter. <laughs> yeah. We enter when nobody's talking about it. That's our uh, that's our philosophy. The other way it manifests itself is that if we are building thesis in certain spaces and we are specializing by spaces, we don't need to we don't need to hit a lot of bullets there. Then we better come in with a lot more conviction and we should be willing to make more concentrated bets. And where I'm going with that statement is that, look, if you make a large number of investments, then you broadly represent the market. You are going to be market averaged. And if anybody has ever done that, you're buying the index. And if anybody has ever done the index calculation on venture, by the way, that index doesn't look that great. And the only way you make money is when when you concentrate yourself. And that was the other belief that we came in. And the fourth belief that we came in with is that, I think the most exciting thing in the Indian startup ecosystem is that founders from the past who have been somewhat successful or very successful, pretty much all of them are very keen to pay it forward. And we were the first fund when we started, and today a lot more funds do it, which by design incorporated their participation into the fund. So while we never announce anybody's name, but I will leave it to you to guess that some of the most successful founders in India 
they were investors in our first fund and now in our second fund. And they help us in building thesis. They help us in, in uh, recommending some of the best deals that they think are fit for us to look at. They are the first point of contact when we want to do diligence. They, when we write a check, in addition to them participating in the fund as well, they participate directly as well, where they can lend very specific yeah. expertise to these companies as well. And therefore, we we incorporate them in the entire venture life cycle as well. And Wonderful. those yeah. were some of the core beliefs that we started uh, the fund with. Uh, that being said, I still think that venture is a category where there is only so much you can differentiate on the strategy side. It just boils down to execution day in, day out. Like, like just like a startup. So Just absolutely. like a startup as well. On that note, I want to dig a little deeper on the SaaS side of things because obviously that's of very personal interest to me. Uh, but before we do that, uh, let's take a quick break, come back and talk to Alok again. Hey, welcome back everyone. Talking to Alok about a lot of things in the world of VC. Uh, and Alok, thank you for you know giving us that uh, sort of the background view of how you obviously got in and uh, started out. But the question I've been waiting to ask, obviously, or dig a little deeper into is your SaaS thesis, right? There have been SaaS investors in, in your phase uh, two for sure and definitely are in phase three like you were sharing earlier. SaaS has been an interesting market for India or at least investment in India, uh, whereas the market has been, of course, outside. So where did you come in with, uh, you know, when you came in from your enterprise background of selling in India, right, with these super large enterprise companies who were obviously, who are still the stalwarts of, let's say, the SaaS uh, industry to now funding their replicas or, you know, their future sort of uh, Indian counterparts. What was yeah. it that you saw? And, you know, talk us through a few of the early bets. I know you've, uh, I'm sure you actually, I know you had a recent exit as well. Uh, so, you know, talk us through some of those stories of interesting startups you found and which sort of doubled down on your thesis of why SaaS will work here. So um, when I started looking at SaaS back in 2013, in fact, when I came in, I must confess that even though at SAP, we had made a few acquisitions, but that was towards the tail end of my career at SAP. And my... Yeah. Uh, my training, my, if I may say my muscle, lied pretty much in the classical on-premise large deals. That's what I used to do Yeah. Uh, at SAP. So it's not like I understood SaaS as I came in into the venture business. My first six months, I decided that I don't want to write any check. I will just meet companies. And I remember that, see, at that point, there wasn't really a successful SaaS company. Even Freshworks was, I think, four or five million dollar ARR at that point. But there are probably hundred companies like that. Yeah. So I met with anyone that I could meet here. I also spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley, just understanding where SaaS is going. Broadly, my thesis was that look, India is success from India is going to be more of an exception rather than the rule, and there is a pattern to what can create success from India, which is going to be existing categories, so me too companies hopefully fast followers of low price point that you can generate demand digitally and sell on the phone sitting from India so that you have an advantage in the sales cost. These are going to be therefore the SMB categories where you can go to market because they are the ones that will be low, uh, low ticket size, do not require a beat on street sales and largely application companies and not deep tech companies. 
at least the belief was that India doesn't yet have the deep tech talent. So that's the thesis with which I started. And you fast forward to today, uh, the world looks completely different. There is no single flavor to SaaS from India. Large enterprise, small enterprise. Application, deep tech. Horizontal SaaS, vertical SaaS. Sales-led growth, product-led growth. There is just, on just about every dimension, today I think yeah. um, uh, you can find companies which are being very successful. But that's how I started. My first SaaS bet actually was Whatfix. Uh, interestingly, this was a company when, uh, I should actually give you the story behind this because as smart as we think we are, um, if you really look at the reality, it also tells us how dumb we were. Um, so Whatfix essentially was a layer that would sit on top of existing software and will make it easy for enterprise users to use those applications. Right? Let's say you are a user of Salesforce or SAP or something else. A lot of functionality in those software, you don't know how to use them. It'll sit as a support and help layer on top of it. Yeah. Like on, it's when an onboarding I'm, tool. Yeah. It's an on, onboarding and support. Continuous support and stuff. So I met Whatfix founders for the first time at an event in April of 2014. And I didn't even take notice. Um, I had an analyst in my team by the name Karan Gupta. He is a very smart guy, by the way. IT Delhi was at BCG. Um, and he was tracking the company and he really liked the product. And he asked me to meet them, I think, June or July of 2014. And I said, no, I don't want to meet. And my argument was that, look, the world is going towards design thinking. Software is becoming easier and easier to use. Nobody is going to need another layer of software to use other software. And therefore, to me, this is a sunset industry. It's not going to work. And I even refused to meet. And he asked me repeatedly. And I said, no, sorry, I'm not going to meet. I have better things to do with my time than meeting the Whatfix guys. One day he got frustrated and he says, Alok, okay, fine, don't meet them. Can I show you a demo at least? And I said, fine, why don't you show me a demo? And we spent five minutes. I love the product so much that I said, let's call these guys tomorrow. And I think in the last nine years, that's the fastest check I wrote. I met them, I think, on a Friday morning. And on Monday morning, I gave them a dumb shit. Um, um, so again, why am I saying this? I think I could have very easily missed it because... I was too full of myself. I had the strong belief as to why this is not going to work. And, but for my colleague Karan, I think I would have never actually paid attention to, to what fix as well. So, so much for the thesis. I think sometimes we all build in our heads also. Yeah. Uh, when I met them, there were only two founders, both engineers. I didn't know how to sell. Um, I invested in them because I thought they'll sell to SMBs. They will sell at a very low ticket size, which was $1,000 per customer per year. And that was my thesis, by the way. Now, yeah. the thesis itself could not be more wrong either. Yeah. Today, they regularly do deals of quarter million, half a million. They have 100 plus Fortune 1000 customers and 50 plus Fortune 500 customers. They yeah. have a sales force across the globe, US, Germany, UK, Australia, New Zealand, you name it. So in many ways, what the tree that has come out of that seed looks as different as it possibly could from the thesis that I originally imagined, actually. Wow. Um, but that's what some of these are in the end. You know, you, you know only so much uh, when you invest. In hindsight, you know, we are lucky. And of course, we talk about how much we knew. But the reality is, I still think, for most part, we know very little uh, when we at least write the first check. I think by the time I wrote a second check, I had a very strong faith in founder, founders in that company. I, I thought the world of them, and that has stayed that way. And I genuinely believe that these are two of the best founders 
Indian SaaS ecosystem has seen. But I didn't know that when I wrote the first. Wow, interesting. Uh, what what sort of you know uh, since you showed us that journey as well and of course what fix uh, I do know the company has obviously uh, become huge I think they're uh, they were also they've raised multiple rounds uh, obviously but talk us through a few more like how has that since evolved your let's say understanding of SaaS and I ask this very uh, coming from a SaaS person selling SaaS in India yeah. myself you know selling. Uh, the the thesis itself i know of a lot of people have changed has changed from companies looking being in india selling outwards the earlier point that you made about you know doing phone sales uh, and avoiding uh, let's say selling feet on street to selling within the country itself within this region itself have you seen that evolve and what's your take on that part of the market it has evolved quite a bit in fact you know the one big thing that has changed from 2013 to now if i take that span of time when a new company was being created. The only way for them to get to product market fit was to sell to customers in the US. There weren't even early adopters in India at that point in time. Yeah. And if I may say so, I still have not been able to completely build the conviction that you can build an IPO-able company with India as a market or even Asia as a market for that matter. I still think that you need to be successful in the Western world. And for most part, you need to be successful in the US if you want to build a large SaaS company. However, what has changed is that that zero to one journey or even the one to five journey, and in many cases, the one to 10 journey as well, actually, I believe can be traversed in India today because the customers who are buying your products, they're as cutting edge as anybody in Silicon Valley would be. So if you talk to any SaaS company today, who are their first customers? Capillary, Darwin Box, Chargebee, Whatfix, Mindtickle, Yellow.ai, right? All these companies are their first customers today. These companies are not thinking any differently from their peers in Silicon Valley. Since I'm an investor in Whatfix, last year I checked with them, and this is this is actually now one and a half years back. They were using 92 SaaS applications in April 2020. I'm sure that number has grown yeah. by now. Yeah. Right? Different so departments, are, everyone. Yeah. Exactly. So these companies now think very differently when it comes to use of technology. You, uh, again, you look at initial successes in India who have made success in the Indian market. At least three come to my mind, which have reached a significant milestone. Um, one would be Darwin Box, Yellow.ai, and Sainzi in our portfolio. All of these companies have done 10 million or more ARR by just primarily being in India. And that was not thinkable in the past. So in that sense, yes, my thesis has actually changed quite a bit. Earlier, I would not invest in companies if they didn't already have referenceable US customers, that part actually I don't worry about as well. I also believe that the that the ecosystem has learned so much that the beat of learning a go-to market outside the country has actually become so much more easier for entrepreneurs today than it was in the past. Absolutely. I'm going to go backwards a little bit, right, from something you said much earlier. You, you were talking about exits and how they are, uh, uh, what kind of exits are available in Indian market, right? I, I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on how you're thinking of that, right? Because uh, you mentioned that exits are a relatively recent phenomena. And uh, what are the characteristics that you believe that are leading to the fact that we're starting to see exits occur now, which earlier we were not able to see in the same kinds of ways, right? I mean, like, uh, what's changed? Well, what are the realities that you see that have changed right now and that are available now? to the market at large, which were not there earlier? Quite a few things in my mind, Amit. First of all, I think when you look at exits, 
we believe that there is no such thing as a great time to enter. We feel across the vintages, every year is a great year to enter companies, especially if you're doing early stage investing. So we maintain a constant pace in that sense of investing. However, when you look at exits, every, I'm just going to pick a bit of a random number here, but every five years, there will be that one to two year period where it's a good exit window and the exit window then shuts again for some time. I think the last two years, we have witnessed that window in India where it's been a good exit market, probably built uh, sort of beginning middle of last year is when this started. We believe it's not going to stay forever, but at least it's been there. Why has it reached the point it has reached? Lots of different factors. I think number one is that today you can sell or you can exit your position either in secondary or the company as a whole to other larger startups as well. You know, think about a Baiju's buying a White Hat Junior. I think today, as the number of companies with valuation anywhere from 1 billion to 40 billion, just look at that pack has grown so large in the country that they can actually reasonably acquire other companies, which was not possible in the past. That critical mass exists today. Also, because many of these companies have grown larger, we are seeing a lot of activity from the traditional uh, companies. Tata's were not that active four years back. Reliance was not that active four years back. Right? Suddenly, look at the number of checks they're writing in the ecosystem. So that has grown. I think the third is that just the growth of tech as a percentage of market capitalization globally, if you look at it, that has grown. In the US, if you look at S&P 500, again, I, I'm pretty sure I'm wrong with my numbers, but I think 20-25% is just the top five tech companies. Everybody is watching that phenomenon. Even in India, by the way, if you look at just until some time back, India's market capitalization was about two and a half trillion dollars. Half a trillion out of it was just the IT services companies. They were very small when they started. But that tech alone, IT services tech alone, was 20% of our market capitalization. And everybody realizes that this is going to be a massive part of our capitalization going forward. So the public markets have also begun to um, begin to take a liking, I, I would say, to uh, to taking positions in this market. And therefore, both late stage funds, as well as the public markets, and that's particularly true, true for 2021, we have seen so many exits yeah. happen. So, yes. which I think is a good sign. And lastly, I think there has been a lot of notice that's coming from companies outside the country. In our portfolio, I'll give you an example. We recently exited Slinter, outstanding company, by the way. One of my favorite that has been created. Yeah. They were growing like wildfire until Sixth Sense made them an offer uh, that that we could not resist, frankly, in the end. But uh, those kinds of transactions are also growing. And therefore, I think just the number of opportunities and specifically for an early stage investor like us, I can tell you that in pretty much every good company of ours, and I mean it, pretty much every good company of ours today, if we wanted to liquidate our position, we can liquidate it yesterday. That's how much demand is there. So it's a combination of public acceptance, the larger scale of startups, and additional Absolutely. participation of the existing Indian companies, right? What flipped that switch for them? Because, I mean, like, you know, the Indian companies were there, they were doing this stuff, but they were, uh, or, or like doing it in a very weird way, right? But, I mean, like, something flipped. As I, I'm talking about, like, you know, the Reliance, the Startups, the Airtels of the world, right? What flipped the switch for them, right? I mean, like, they were not participating in the m and market, like, in real ways before. I think it's a question of reaching a critical mass in many things. And, you know, once you reach a critical mass, suddenly 
suddenly people begin to look at the ecosystem very, very differently. Um, when large companies like Paytm, Zomato, uh, Baiju's, Ola, uh, so many of these were getting a make my trip. Once these begin to get created, I think people realize that look, this market is actually very, very. If you look at the larger people, again, look at the Tatas, the Birlas, the Reliances of the world, they all waited because they were not sure whether the market opportunity is large enough or not. But the moment people realize that the market opportunity is large enough, they all want to participate. And we are seeing that switch flip in the last couple of years totally. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, just to the point of that you mentioned Sintas, of course, uh, you know, we've I've had a chance to speak to Deepak there uh, early on as well uh, about you know, how they were doing, how things were. Uh, and they were a sales enablement sort of a company, right? Their product also helps other SaaS companies uh, in a lot of ways grow their business. And now that acquisitions happened. You mentioned Sainzi. Arpit has actually been on our show as a guest. So, oh, interesting. It, yeah, so it's, we've, we've, it's been interesting how we've seen a lot of these companies talk about their, you know, product roadmap and uh, obviously expand over the years. And there's there's so much happening in this world, uh, in the SaaS world, especially. Give, saying Given that, uh, I think for you uh, personally and as Stellaris, maybe you mentioned earlier on, and I think you've kept to that thesis of being very, very selective on the kind of companies you choose to go after. Uh, and, you know, as closing notes, Alok, given that we obviously have a lot of listeners who are entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs looking out, what do you want to tell them as to why, who should talk to you and what are you looking for uh, when you're talking, when you're, you know, talking to new people to add to your portfolio today? Uh, and of course, share uh, how they can reach you and where, where's the best place to contact you. So uh, it's a tough question to answer in terms of what are we looking for? Because the challenge with being an investor, actually, let me flip it. We strongly believe that there is no single template of being a great entrepreneur. In fact, the reason great entrepreneurs are great is because they create their own template and do not follow them. And which is what makes our job both fun and hard. Because I know that we all have these templates in our head from the past, and we need to continuously shed these templates to be able to see with clarity that we should be seeing while backing someone. And um, in the end, I think this just boils down to people having passion for what they are building and people willing to play the long game. I think, in fact, I see that there is a risk in the current environment that there are many people who are entering entrepreneurship with a relatively shorter term mindset, which is no different, by the way, than what happened in 2000. Um, I remember a lot of my McKinsey friends left McKinsey just to start. And eventually, one year back, one year later, went back to McKinsey. And uh, I fear that a lot of those entrepreneurs are also going to come in at this point in time. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think a lot of very long-term builders are also going to come. It's a journey which... You need to do not because you are catering to investors or to raise capital. You are deeply, you deeply believe in a problem. That's what you're looking to solve. And do remember that building a company will take eight to 10 years. Nothing good, actually. doesn't matter what it is. Happens in a short time. It takes a decade to build anything meaningful. Be prepared that there'll be a few dips. There'll be a few booms in that journey. But you are prepared to stay the course. And that's why you are in that. That's why you're a founder. And that's why you're starting. Uh, but... There is no good good way or bad way to contact us. Just write to us directly. We respond to every single mail that we get uh, from every founder. And we get about 4,000 of these per year. Uh, but wow. we respond to every single email uh, that uh, that comes to us. So 
we would love to talk to you no matter what you're building. Chances are most likely we're still going to say no. Unfortunately, that's our job. Uh, but uh, I know that we will learn a lot from you and hopefully in the process, we'll also, uh, you might be able to learn something from that conversation as well. Awesome. Uh, also, just a quick reminder, everybody, we appreciate reviews or ratings wherever you're listening to this. Uh, Apple Podcasts or Ghana or Savan or wherever you're listening to this, if you could do a rating or a review, that would be helpful. You could also reach out to Shildhati or me on social media and we will respond, hopefully. Yeah, thank you to everyone who's uh, shared that they were, Shunya One was part of their Spotify rap for 2021. Interesting stuff there. So good to good to know that we have a few listeners who where we are in the top charts. <laughs> so, but uh, on on that note, Alok, thank you so much for you know being a guest with us today. Uh, this was a fascinating conversation, and of course, we will share your uh, we'll share the Stellaris contact details for everyone uh, in the details for the podcast. So hopefully, some of them will be inspired to reach out to you. Who knows? Maybe uh, you know even have the fortunate, uh, for good fortune of working with you. So, thank you so much. We hope to keep hearing about consecutive successes and, of course, helping uh, the growth of the startup ecosystem here. No, thank you, Shiladitya. Thank you, Amit. Really enjoyed the conversation. It's one of the very few conversations I've had which was not scripted and completely free flowing. I truly enjoyed it. <laughs> that that is what we aim to do. Thank you. All right. Thank you.